Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, I'm meeting with Airline C, a seasoned social entrepreneur, leader, and social business advisor. Airline wrote an interesting book on reimagining financial inclusion, a must-read for all corporate business leaders concerned about the future of our planet. In the book, Airline talked about the five levers that change and impact our financial system. She will share more about the topic during our conversation. We'll also talk about ESG with a focus on social innovation and how social innovators support companies in the achievement of their impact. So let's get started. So good morning, Airline. Thank you so much to be with me today. Good morning, and uh, I'm so happy. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. So let's get started with some definitions. So I think when we look at the work you are doing, you are focusing a lot on social innovation. But to give context to our discussion, I would like to introduce what ESG means to our audience. So ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Environmental meaning the criteria would look at the impact of resource consumption from businesses on the environment, like waste, carbon footprint, water uh, discharges. Uh, the social criteria stands for how businesses interact with the local community. And today, I think we hear a lot about how business embrace diversity, equity, and inclusions as well, and embed that within their policies internally. And then governance relates to the internal practices that a business implement to actually make sure that whatever they develop from an E and an S viewpoint can be replicated over and over uh, with good structure, good governance, and good processes. So ESG facilitates top-line growth as well long-term, and I think a lot of businesses are realizing that today, but do not always know how to go about it. So, Erlan, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience with your own words as well, and then we'll dive into the conversations of today. Yeah. Okay, let's let's get started. How long would you like me to take to get my introduction done? No, I'm just kidding. I um, I like the hook of the ESG. I indeed have to admit that I'm mainly focused on the S. I personally feel that the social thing go for, goes first, and that has a lot to do with the fact that um, if you take uh, the social part and and take it from a global perspective, yeah. you can see that. Um, for we actually would love everybody to live their life to their full potential. That basically means you and me, but also all the people in the impoverished, impoverished communities around the world. So without all of us taking care of the planet, so we can't do that without living our life to our full potential. So that's why I usually put the social before the, uh, 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 that's required sort of uh, as a prerequisite before the environmental and the governance uh, that you explained so well uh, earlier. 
So how come I came to do that, the social part? I, I'm not sure. I think it all started with my father who was born in Indonesia and, and grew up in poverty. But obviously, uh, uh, it, I was taken by him to that region on a very early age. So I do think my personal purpose is related to that intergenerational thingy that my father was growing up in poverty. However, I realized that very late in life. So I first started my life uh, uh, as a professional in the corporate sector. So I worked for 10 years within the corporate sector, mainly I'm Dutch, so <laughs> mainly with the big Dutch corporate companies like KLM, Philips, uh, <laughs> the Dutch uh, National Railways. Well, after a year or seven, eight, I really felt my job becoming more, uh, losing some meaning. Uh, so I learned a lot, learned how corporate works, how their global supply chain works, how their communication and marketing strategies work. But I really felt was looking for more meaning because it was very uh, profit driven and, and focused on shareholder value. So that's when I started to, well, dig in deeper in my own reason for living. And by accident, I became a social entrepreneur. So 20 years ago, uh, I co-founded a what we nowadays would, would call a microfinance institution. So we were providing very small loans to, let's think of Malika in Sri Lanka, selling coconuts. But when she, if she could get a loan for 50 euros, she could buy a bicycle and with buying a bicycle, this is uh, no rocket science, right? She could sell more, more coconuts in the nearby villages. Um, and we started doing that. And that really led to the insight that with a very small financial support to uh, in Malika's life, she could, um, her children could benefit from that very much. So that's why, that's how I became a social entrepreneur. And when I started to incorporate social uh, purpose more in my work with corporates too. So from one, uh, the other uh, thing came. And nowadays I work with Ashoka, which is the um, world's largest international network of social entrepreneurs. Um, and I at Ashoka, I mainly work with corporates so I can support their transformation to become more relevant to society or you could also rephrase that as uh, grow higher scores on ESG. <laughs> so that's what I do nowadays and we always do that with uh, in close collaboration with uh, social innovators. So social innovation entail working with social innovators and providing helping them provide impact to society probably in slightly different way than profit-making organization am i right airline and um as a result of that would it be possible for you to define social innovation for us and what are the outcome you see those entrepreneurs innovators achieving in the world yeah so that's not an easy set of questions but I, I don't really think that profit making should be set aside or so separate from impact making. I think or we started organizing ourselves to be more relevant to society. So in essence, that's what organizations do as well, right? Maybe in the last few decades, we became a bit 
uh, too focused on the monetary side of it. And we, some companies started to forget about this relevance to society. And I think we all try to find our way back to that societal value that we actually originally uh, all started <laughs> our organization with, right? So I don't think in that sense, the profitability is what makes it different, the, the big corporate, so to say, and the social innovations. What I do think is what makes social innovations really different is that they do it in such a radically different way. So they basically take some issue that they feel uh, they care about and they feel passionate about. They take that issue and they want to radically solve that issue. So they don't want to sell a product uh, that is less polluting to a solution. They want to solve an issue like uh, 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 deforestation. So that's what we call a social innovation. It has to be something that tackles the root causes of an issue that really takes a systems view. So you define the problem and you work the solution of that problem um, in a system view. And, for, in, and that is why, why they organize different than a classical organization, because they realize that if you want to solve something on a systems level, you really need a lot of partners to work with. Actually, everybody needs to change with you to really eradicate that issue. So a social innovation for me is some, something, some person or a, a, a solution, a service, a product that radically changes the system to solve whatever is wrong with it, right? So that I, let's, let's uh, then illustrate it with an example. Wikipedia, everybody knows Wikipedia, right? So basically uh, the founder, the social innovator was really annoyed by the fact that uh, knowledge is captured by usually highly educated uh, professors. They write it down in an encyclopedia and only the rich people can buy an encyclopedia. So knowledge is made by highly educated people and is only accessible for wealthy people. And this is, was what really was an issue that annoyed him because he felt that knowledge could be, should be created by everybody because everybody is a knowledge holder in itself and it should also be accessible for everybody. And that's what we mean with the social innovation. So in the early days of Wikipedia, Wikipedia wasn't a sustainable solution, not at all. But because he was so passionate about solving the issue, he started to create and co-create that solution with many, many others in such a way that we nowadays could say that issue is solved. Wikipedia is really a place where everybody can add their knowledge. It's a collective database of all of us and it's actually accessible to all of us, right? So that's what I would say would be a real social innovation. And in the case of Wikipedia, I'm sure every Christmas you get your little email because all of us are using Wikipedia to remember to make our little contribution to it as well. Exactly, but I, I think there's nothing wrong with making a good business model from or around or supporting a social innovation, right? So, but I do feel it should follow the solution. 
what fits the solutions best. And Wikipedia found a, a beautiful model for that. Yeah, and But it didn't start with it. I think that's a very important lesson for all of us to take that you don't start your way business canvassing through uh, uh, social innovation. You start with the issue, you analyze the root causes, you think about how others can contribute to solving that because most systemic issues are too big for one of us to solve. Absolutely. So, yeah, so the solution needs to be co-created with the people you feel that can contribute to, to solve the issue. And you made quite a few important points because, um, you know, in the work we do, we always start with problem. We have a problem-led organization. I work only on problem-led um, mandates. And uh, I think it's very important to, to actually remember that for finding the best solution, you need to start with a problem. You need to unpack it in smaller components, like the slice of the puzzle, and like one puzzle piece at a time and start looking how you can actually start identifying assumptions and how you can start answering questions who fulfill different parts, you mentioned ecosystems needs. It might be user need, consumer need, partners' needs, corporate needs, but all these need to be unpacked and so forth. And it's why, you know, uh, often when we solve for those problems, we, we use uh, entrepreneurial techniques, which requires us to look at desirability, visibility, viability of a, of a problem, which is very much embedded in the way startup, the startup of a founder of, a, of a, an organization think. Absolutely. And I also think that the entrepreneurial spirit that we often seek when we uh, want to build collaborations with the startups, the entrepreneurial qualities are actually much more needed nowadays than they were, let's say, last decade and uh, last century. And this has a lot to do with the fact, I, our founder, Bill Drayton, always says this very beautifully. He says, basically, change has always been in the world, right? But it ne never has been so fast as nowadays. So uh, change is happening so fast that you barely can cope. So basically the most important skill for all of us to learn is how to cope with skills, how to with change, how to be resilient, how to be able to constantly adapt to change. And for that, entrepreneurial qualities are very important. And I also would like to add to that, it's not just entrepreneurial qualities to build an organization. No, it's an entrepreneurial quality to solve issues, to change, right? To solve them. And that needs to be incorporated in, in the way you organize. So and I think that, that there is where the entrepreneurial qualities really come in. Absolutely. It takes me as well to, uh, as you were talking, Elaine, is um, when you look at this entrepreneurial quality, you mentioned the speed of change. I think change is constant now because with digitization and the fact that everything is transparent and technology actually, utility is accessible to everybody for a very, very low price. This means that change is constant. Digitization is enabling change to be constant. And at the same time, because we don't often see what is underneath 
the the water, the iceberg metaphor, you have to also deal with uncertainty in a continuous basis as well, and being able to think laterally and not um, thinking selfishly only about yourself, I think is the best way to start solving bigger problems. So you mentioned ecosystem and a lot of things we are talking about this year, just this year, airline is digital ecosystems, which are, you know, interconnecting system, including people, technology, partners who actually want to solve big problems together and maybe provide a solution, a very targeted solution for one thing within the ecosystem. So they also need to be mutually exclusive, but together the sum of the part is much bigger than the part alone, which I think is also embedded in your, in the concept of social innovation and the work you are doing every day. Absolutely. Uh, and this is where I really get excited, uh, especially when we also talk about financial inclusion, because um, I think a big, powerful corporates and big business actually nowadays still underestimate the potential of change they could bring, especially, and sorry, but this is my personal passion, especially to financially including the poor. And here it comes because our formal financial system was built last century when we didn't have the technology as it is nowadays. And like you said, with the technology and the speed of the development of technology nowadays, look at the ADAR, the, the identification system in India, we are way more able to include, financially include many more uh, poor or most excluded people in the world. So um, if big corporates start, and I'm not talking about bank and insurers, right? I'm also talking about them, but also big corporates, if they start to see through technology how powerful they could be in the space of financially including so many more people, then we can really uh, transform the system, change the system. So let me demonstrate this with an uh, Example, if you look at the big uh, corporates like Coca-Cola, for example, um, through technology, they were never, when you do auditing in your supply chain, the traditional way, you basically go the way to your factory and there it stops, right? You audit your factory. And this basically means that the biggest number of people that work for you, think of the uh, plastic recyclers that pick plastic from the rivers, bring them to plastic recycle stations and make new bottles from them. They are out of sight for the big corporates like Coca-Cola, right? So now there's a, uh, a social innovation a technology uh, by Banku. And they actually provide an identity through a technology uh, platform. And the identity is with the poor person with the most excluded person, financially not included. And with that identity through that platform, waste pickers can get transaction history because they bring in the collected bottles, they drop it off at the bottle recycling factory, uh, not even the factory, bottle recycling point, and they they get the registration of the transaction, the minimal income they get for bringing the um, and now you see that with the social innovation of Banku and collaboration with Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola suddenly is 
empowered, enabled to include this so-called last mile of their supply chain. And now they see what the, let's say, earning potential of this last mile people, eh, people living in the last mile is, they can actually start to include them, provide them with the proper income, provide them a banks could step in or microfinance institutions more likely could step in and offer them loans. Uh, based on the track record of their transactions, they could even maybe get a, a health insurance scheme, a micro health insurance scheme. So now you really can include this last mile with this technology, right? And this is also a, a, a potential for Coca-Cola. They actually started doing this in South Africa. And hopefully when they have a positive uh, pilot phase, they start uh, implementing such a solution in their whole global for, uh, uh, value chain, right? So there you see how how um, incredibly powerful this collaboration could be between big corporates and social innovators. If you wish to include people and, and you really want equality, right? For your company employees, but also the ones supplying uh, your company. Absolutely. And I believe that uh, Coca-Cola, their bottling services in um, were part of their bottling activities in South Africa, so which makes um, perfect sense. So you mentioned, Erline, that, you know, you want to tackle the flows of formal financial system. Can you actually explain a little bit more what that means? Because you already touched upon the fact that we need to build financial resilience for everyone and not just for people who can afford it, for people actually who cannot uh, afford it today. Yeah, so uh, like I said, I, I think we, we are currently dealing with a formal financial system that basically serves only less than half of our world population. And that's fundamentally wrong because we all know that financial services, like being able to save uh, your money on a safe place, getting a loan, getting an insurance, um, mortgage, pensions, all those uh, financial services, you need to be able to live your life to your full potential, right? So if you exclude more than half, and I'm repeating this because it's ridiculous, right? If you're excluding more than half of the world's population from that system, you're sort of, well, let's think of it as a, that's a waste of talent, right? <laughs> so uh, therefore, I really feel that we need to adapt the formal financial system in such a way that we can also include the other half of the world. We can only do that if everybody, all companies, start to work with us with us on that and tackling those flaws. And most of the flaws that are built in our formal financial system are actually because the last century technology didn't allow us to, be, to, to include them affordably, so to say. But nowadays we can. And that's why I wrote the book about reimagining financial inclusion. And I put, I featured exactly <laughs> that one. I featured 13 of the game changes in the book that demonstrate how you can also provide micro pensions and provide micro insurance schemes for health, micro insurance schemes to guarantee, buy crop guarantees, uh, uh, mortgages. So to show that it's already possible, probably I was hoping that others can sort of start to think about it how they can tag along because all the game changes that they have one 
similar feature, and that is, is that they invite others to tag along and to sort of take their solution and do it yourself in your own geography uh, too, or in your own supply chain too. So that's uh, how I hope to solve those flaws of the <laughs> formal financial system as yeah, aiming to include the other half. So what got you on the journey to writing, reimagining financial inclusion, airline? You know, one day you woke up and said, okay, I'm going to write a book. I think it's part of the journey you have gone in. And so give us a little bit of background and the history of the book as well. Yeah, like, like I said in the introduction, I, I sort of by accident became a social entrepreneur because I felt like I needed more meaning in, in what I did from day to day. So that's when I founded this microfinance institution, providing very small loans to the most ex excluded people. So 20 years afterwards, so I ventured slowly into the uh, system changing social entrepreneurship sector. Um, but uh, when I revisited the financial inclusion space 20 years after uh, establishing that uh, social venture to set up another or to launch another uh, uh, social venture, I actually realized that this state of the sector was more or less still sort of stuck with providing uh, microfinance credits to the, uh, the lowest income people of, uh, of the world. And I really felt that we should really focus a bit more on all the other solutions out there that do way more than just savings and loans and also uh, provide insurances, pensions and mortgages. And I, I'm, I wanted to demonstrate how you do that through a system change approach and, and by building an ecosystem of partners that you can uh, uh, shift even the, the, the financial system. So that's how I then thought, okay, uh, apparently the sector needs to, needs to be able to see those examples. And that's how I featured those uh, 13 game changes that show all the system change view and all uh, do this in an ecosystem. Uh, so that's, uh, that's how I came to write the book, but that was just a, a hobby next to, <laughs> to my work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, like many of us. So part of us, you know, about, I mean, when we try to tackle the rules of the game and try to change them, we also need to look at new drivers and new criteria. So it'd be great if we could go uh, through some of those, the one you think are the most important line, as well as, you know, how do we start driving better equality and equity in the action we take every day? Yeah, so, um, in the book, I, I write about five different uh, flaws or levers that we need to tackle. And I think a couple, uh, let's, let's touch upon three of them, right? One of them, uh, like you said, um, equality is very important, right? To, to get the other half of the world population included, we really need to grow equality uh, in the world. And um, I think... For that, we need to go to the daily lives of the people we like to include. Um, and these are actually the same people that dig the cobalt from the mines that we use in our phones, right? These are the same people 
that work in the factories to uh, uh, to produce our genes or so so I, I the, the the same people 80 percent of our food is actually produced by these people so we are our lives are very much connected to the lives of those people so i think um equality between me and uh, a poor malika is the connection in uh, through our global value change right so i think getting out there understanding their daily life is the first thing we need to do and when you go out in the life of the example of malika i just said and you realize that she actually needs a she doesn't need a health insurance she would like to have access to a doctor when her daughter starts to cough right and when her daughter starts to cough she would actually probably because she doesn't have a general practitioner around the corner of her home she probably she has a phone so she probably would like to call a doctor and if you start to understand that that's the daily reality of malika then you can build the solution like bima did bima is one of the uh, the game changers i featured and they provide all types of insurances through the phone um, and for example the health insurance i touched upon they actually don't provide the classical health insurance um, they do it with preventive health services through telehealth services so they basically offer access to doctors and and health for malika through the phone and when she wants to do that and wants to pay a, a small fee through her mobile phone provider she can actually get a health insurance with it attached to it and that's a radically different way of thinking about health insurances attached to preventive health services through a mobile phone that's why the game changer of bima is really taking off and and is able to reach 25 million let me repeat 25 million users that buy an insurance for the first time in their life so that's a real huge new market segment right and this is only done through getting first a deep understanding of the daily life and i think that's the first thing that we need to realize that we don't understand the the, the daily life of the people and as soon as you get that understanding you start building the partnerships you need to attach the financial service you want to offer to the fulfillment of the daily need in this case it's the mobile phone right um in the daily life of malika i think i mentioned a couple of things so getting into the daily life building linking with other partners and building the ecosystem to be able to integrate your financial service with the fulfillment of a daily need and the example i used was uh, access to a doctor right so i think that's some i include i bundled some of the flaws uh, in this equality <laughs> uh, yeah the um the example you use whether that is bima reminded me as well and pesa i mean in our i mean in our world of insurance or finance the example which actually i remember probably 10 years ago 10 15 years ago i heard 
uh, first around that social innovation was probably M-Pesa, which allowed from an insurance viewpoint, a farmer to use their uh, feature phone and a QR code to get their seed replaced if there were a big weather event. And the fascinating uh, process which happened here is that we also had a pa- what we call power metric, power meters applied to that, which meant that no claims needed to approach a claims department because we were able to settle claims because Google Alert said there's a drought or there is too much rain happening right now. And so what you find is also the operating model of the insurance company changing as a result. And I think the opportunity with potentially social innovation is also learning from developing countries, which had to use feature phone around smartphone, uh, being able to innovate around the operating model itself to make the price of the product acceptable too. Affordable. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. And I think here's another uh, maybe point we could talk a a little bit about, because I think uh, what we learned in the last two decades, and Acre Africa is one beautiful example to demonstrate. So they they sell... um, crop guarantees right to to farmers and you can buy them in the same shop where the farmers buy their fertilizer and the seeds for the new season for planting and they have this technology platform so you basically only need pictures from the satellite to know whether a farmer's land is germinating or not right so that's the only thing you need to know for an insurance, whether you have to go uh, for a claim or not. But the funny thing is that what we learned is it's not only technology. Acre Africa has built a, a, a village farmer, a village champion farmers network, which taps into the informal network at the village level. So there are farmers um, that are champions and that teach other farmers about this insurance, what it means and how you can uh, work with that. But they also added to the satellite pictures. They also take pictures with their phone. Why is it? Because when they wanted to sell the insurances, it actually, an insurance is an intangible product. So farmers didn't want to buy it and they didn't believe it. So to add believability to the product of an insurance, they actually built this champion, uh, uh, village champion uh, farmers network because these are their peers and they take the picture and they trust them. So trust is a very important factor if you really want to scale the impact and if you really want to reach those people. So again, going back to their daily lives, it also needs believability for them to trust uh, the insurance they buy. And so the pictures that the village champions w- weren't really needed, but it was needed to build the trust. Yeah. And I think that's a very uh, beautiful lesson for all of us we have learned in the past two decades, how to scale this. You really need to also have the trust factor in a local community. Yeah. But what you are highlighting is that change is then done uh, with committed, collaborative and connected uh, people. Just the example of the farmers being together and driving that trust and I guess trust linked to transparency and so therefore to belief. Uh, how do we make that transferable, if I may ask, in developed markets? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Let me first 
share a little bit on in the underdeveloped markets because uh, for example the 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 uh, the africa example but also with bima a couple of things you can see because one of the uh, very often highlighted aspects of bima is the fact that they are a technology platform and they do it through that platform one of the things that is highlighted less is the fact that they very they have a very strong sales agents network so there are thousands of sales agents based out there in the communities where the clients live and i think from if you ask me the usp of bima is actually this technology plus the human factor right the face that is based in the uh, so same with acre africa it's an insurance model but it also has built this uh, village champion network through which they gain the trust of the people so if 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 i look at that and i i study also the the, the other uh, game changes i notice several things that the trust is built locally so the communities they have uh, they have strong social cohesion there and you need to be build the trust in their community so if you go reach out through your partners in the communities that's where that's where the trust is built so one of the things how they reach there uh, the communities is also through um, a different way of organizing so many of the aspects of the organization of Bima and Acre Africa is done with the clients they serve, right? So the sales network, uh, the sales agents of Bima are basically in living in the same villages as the, the clients. So you can see that um, promotion, marketing, sometimes production is done by the people they serve. And that's why you also gain trust and believability and to do so you need partners that have a reach in those uh, communities so i think these are a couple of very important things that you need to know before you want to talk about transferability and 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 also i actually do want to take lessons into the developed country but i i actually would like the developed people uh, the people in developed countries sorry to go and reach more into the underdeveloped uh, countries. So I think that's where we should actually focus, a different way of organizing to build this trust. And, 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 and that usually goes through partnerships and partners that are already having a role, that already interact with the people that you want to include, that you want to equally yeah. transact with. Yeah, the, one of my acquaintances, who a French a friend of mine, uh, Stéphane, who has been doing a lot of work um, in the French-speaking African countries, actually showed me that quite a number, in my case, insurance company are actually doing that clip. And some of them I want to recognize on this uh, podcast, including Swiss Free Mimicry, I've heard uh, of great work done by Alliance, AXA, Generali, and I know probably many more, but those are the, the company we've been talking to who has been appearing on the French podcast as well, that is running for French-speaking African, um, African startups. Uh, to actually enable them to have a, a broader voice. But as you said, the insurance company are over there. 
and they also are learning, um, I guess, the techniques that uh, developing markets are implementing to be close to this customer at the macro financing or insurance level to see whether there are some things we can learn to make our developed market financially resilient. Because as you said, it's not only covering uh, underdeveloped markets where 50% of people do not have potentially a bank account. There are millions of people in developed markets with no bank accounts and therefore no access to financial resilience and living day by day or week by week. Absolutely. So, so absolutely right. And though they need to be included as well. So yeah, absolutely. So This question I would like to ask you is probably more linked to my world. Uh, And those are the questions which come to me all the time at the moment. And I know, Erlan, that they are potentially environmentally focused. I'm asked often, you know, Sabine, how do we solve for urban risk, climate risk, supply chain risk, digital risk? And so I know often, you know, it's all right now in my, my sector, you know, we're good at doing environmental, well as good at doing social, or I would say uh, governance in the new, a, new, a new sense of the term. Would you have an example as to how we could do some of this a little bit better? Well, I, and apologies for probably a little bit of a disrupting answer here, but I would really like to challenge the ones that popped the question to think once again about uh, how to avoid or how to manage risk. Because I think, going back to the first uh, part of our conversation, we should, obviously, risk management comes with business, I know that. But it should not be about managing risk. It should be about getting people to live their full potential in luck, right? And urban risk or climate risk are, you should actually dig a little deeper how they connect to the lives of the people. Because if we wanna, we know that the biggest climate risk also in the eyes of insurers is in the underdeveloped countries where the biggest climate risks are. And unfortunately, that's also where the biggest part of our impoverished people live. So if we want them to be agents of our planet, we first need to include them and grant them a proper living, right? And for that and teach them how to how they sustainably can take care of our planet. So I think and then you get a real long-term sustainable climate climate solution. So that's where I would sort of challenge or appetize you into uh, thinking when when people ask you how do we manage the climate risk. I think you have to go you, you have to go to the iceberg level you just mentioned that goes underwater, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And as you also highlighted at the beginning of our conversation is identifying the smaller part of the bigger problem, right? It's really uh, nailing, you know, the, the underlying whys, right? The, the five whys as to what, why the, the systemic issue occur so that we can actually find better solutions for those. Mm-hmm. So your last, my, my, well, 
Oh, we are going into the, the end of our conversation. I was going to ask you about your words of wisdom, actually, Alain. So I think we talked about a lot of things, um, how we can probably build a better society and also consider social innovation and the impact it creates as potentially a profit-making uh, initiatives, right? At the end of the day, when we, we talk about sustainability and how we can address the sustainability problem, we talk about people, planet, and profit for some, or partners for others. It's about you know getting the right piece together to achieve the outcome. So what would be your last world of wisdom for our listeners, um, airline, around things they can do today and tomorrow to build a better planet, maybe? Well, I really like to stress the fact that, like we said earlier, it's all about how you build resilience and, and uh, to, to the, the changing world, right? And it, there hasn't been a change in the world that didn't happen as follows. Yeah. First, you change and I change. And then our pack changes, right? And our organization changes. And only then the world or the system changes. And, and why I'm saying this so explicitly is because I really feel that if you build an environment in your uh, organization, your business, for example, where your people can really flourish as change makers, so they can really become entrepreneurial, they can really care about the problem and really try to solve it by the roots of it, and they can really build the partnerships they need to to solve it that's when you can really jointly grow to a better world so I, I i would encourage everybody also in the position where you're currently in if you're a researcher if you you lead a team if you you can do something now and personally i hope you also want to uh, contribute to financial inclusion you can do something nowadays by building an supportive environment for your team members to start solving issues themselves and contribute to solving those issues on a systemic uh, level and build the partnerships that are needed to do that. Don't try to do it all yourself. Don't, don't build the, <laughs> the corporate ventures department and then try to uh, buy them and uh, uh, incorporate them in your company. No, build the collaborations and let their be teams that challenge each other and that dare to say no to things and dare to, to because diversity is, is really a, a big um, treat, I would say, in your teams, because if you dare to challenge each other, you get better outcomes. So I think investing in people, making them change makers, making them entrepreneurial, allowing them to care for something and to solve it in your company, for your company, that would really make the world a better place because there's many things we can do, but we can only do it together. And we need to learn how to entrepreneurial, creatively solve those issues together from where you, from where you are. Corporates are very strong, powerful entities in the world. So they need to use, start using that and build the partnership that benefit both their business as well as, you name it, and the environment, the, the people, the governance, right? Yeah. So that would be my word of wisdom. Create the change makers around you to, to build a better world. We, we are all needed to change this system that we are 
often feel we are caught in, right? Absolutely. Build the change makers of tomorrow. Thank you very much, Alain. So where could our listener find you? Well, you can find me at Ashoka and you can also find me at my uh, website, Airline C, um, where you can also read a little bit about the book if you like yeah. to yeah. learn and more. Yeah, and also get the book on uh, Amazon, um, Reimagining Financial Inclusion. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bye. Sabine. Thank you very much for being with us today. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.